0: Mercy is not giving something to someone when they deserve it. And we deserve punishment for our sins, not forgiveness. But God extended mercy and forgave us without punishment. The punishment didn't go to us. God expects us to respond with the same mercy. And so he calls us to forgive others. So when we read the parable in Matthew 18 last week, the servant deserved to pay back his debt, and yet the master had his debt forgiven without punishment to the servant. Until the twist at the end of the story, when the master found out that the servant was unable to forgive another servant's debt, the master then threw that first servant into prison. And God says, if we cannot extend forgiveness and mercy to others, how could we possibly be open to receiving his forgiveness and mercy. So that's a bit a summary of what was last week. Today we read from Genesis 45, and we're going to read from Genesis 45, 1 to 15. And in order to understand a little bit what's going on in this passage, I'm just going to take another moment to summarize Genesis Genesis 37 and some of the passages that follow that. In Genesis 37, Joseph, young Joseph, he was 17 years old. He was sent by his father Jacob to his brothers, who were in a pasture, shepherding their father's sheep. The brothers see Joseph coming toward them, and they plot to kill Joseph because they were jealous of him. But one of his brothers, Reuben, wanted to spare Joseph's life, hoping then he would put Joseph in a pit, say, let's put him in a pit, hoping then Reuben would come back later and rescue him from the pit. But in the meantime, Judah, another brother, suggested for them to sell Joseph to these passing Ishmaelites, and they were traveling on their way to Egypt. So Joseph was sold as a slave in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials. And the brothers, what they did was then they covered Joseph's coat in blood to deceive Jacob, their father, that Joseph was killed by a wild animal. And this was in the hopes to cover up their dastardly act. Now, following Genesis 37, time goes on. And this is now over a period of 10 years. And Joseph has seen difficult times, and he even finds himself in prison. And eventually, Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of Egypt. Joseph becomes the governor or the prime minister of Egypt. And as governor, God gave Joseph wisdom to make some very prudent business decisions during a time of seven years of great farm production and prosperity. And this wisdom and business sense really assisted Egypt and surrounding countries during the next seven years of drought and famine. Egypt becomes the place to go to for food and assistance. And as a result, years later, Joseph's brothers make their way to Egypt. And Joseph recognizes his brothers. He confronts his brothers over two decades later. So before we read from Genesis 45 this morning, let's come to God in prayer. Father God, the stories in scripture are sometimes unusual and even difficult to understand, but each story has a purpose. And through the reading today and the message that follows, may your spirit help us understand that purpose and how we can apply it to our lives today as we build your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in chapter 45, the brothers are before Joseph in Egypt, and we begin reading at 45 verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down now to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, and your flocks and your herds, and all you have... And I will provide for you there, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt, and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we are in Genesis 45. We have the brothers standing in the room with Joseph, who is the high official in the country of Egypt. And this is initially an official meeting with other high ranking officials in the room. And Joseph then wants to change this from a business meeting to a family meeting, so he asks the officials to leave. Because there has been this long-standing family matter that needs to be addressed. Families tend to have important and messy things to deal with from time to time. When the official leaves, the officials leave, Joseph begins wailing before this group of travelers to the point that the outside, those outside the room are wondering, like, what's going on? And it makes its way back to Pharaoh's courts. And when Joseph first reveals who he is to his brothers, verse 3 states that they were terrified. And the word terrified can be interpreted as paralyzing fear. It's described as a fear that one has when they are involved in a war. They were so terrified, it was like their enemy was before them. And they were unable to speak. And then Joseph had to identify himself again. Perhaps they were terrified because this person is claiming to be their assumed dead brother. Or at least... This person is someone that they never expected to see again. Or perhaps they were terrified because if this guy is Joseph, and Joseph is alive, the truth will come out. And they were guilty, and they deserved to be shamed and put to death for what they did to Joseph. And so Joseph calls them to come closer to him, And again, this probably would have increased their fear somewhat. But it was likely, Joseph was doing it likely to see who he really is, and for Joseph to extend a sense of nearness, a sense of dearness to his brothers. Because the brothers did a horrific thing to Joseph. I mean, they may as well have killed him. That was their original intent. The brothers wronged Joseph, and after several years of being gone, and now having reappeared, they probably thought, this guy's probably got a good plan of revenge. But Joseph reassured them that he was not planning revenge. Look at both verses 4 and 5. In this short conversation, Joseph reminds them twice to what they did. You sold me into slavery, into Egypt. And Joseph made it clear to his brothers that he remembers what occurred and, and how he was wronged. And Joseph also makes it clear that he has forgiven them. And Joseph's probably reading the emotions in the room, and he calms his brother's fears. He tells them not to be distressed. In fact, don't even be angry with yourselves. Basically, don't allow this event to fester in your own minds and hearts to the point that they cannot even forgive themselves for what they did. He told them not to dwell on their sins. Otherwise, again, it would be like that black, dirty water we saw in the children's message. Don't dwell on your sins. Joseph further stressed to his brothers how God can use this terrible act from the past for his glory. For God's glory in the present and in the future. Now Joseph is very emotional and he hasn't forgotten what his brothers had had done to him. How could he forget, right? But God used what his brothers did for God's glory. God worked through this pain To bring about healing. Verse 15 mentions that his brothers then talked with him. Two decades earlier, in Genesis 37 verse 4, because of the jealousy of the brothers, it says they hated him. They couldn't even speak a kind word to him. And the brothers now shared a time of fellowship and conversation with one another. Reconciliation took place. It only took place... Because of the fact that Joseph had forgiven his brothers. And this became evident through his actions and his speech. Joseph then extended mercy to his brothers. He didn't give them what they deserved, they didn't get punishment. Instead, he gave them forgiveness, he gave them new life. Because of the famine, he instructed them and their families to relocate to Egypt so that they would not have to live in destitution and they will have this new life in Egypt. You see, this is, not, this is a story of not only forgiveness, but also restoration of relationships and restitution. Forgiveness has taken place. Sin has been exposed. The truth has come out. And yes, please don't think that punishment never has to occur. It didn't happen in this case, but healing and restoration can now take place. Scripture is clear that forgiveness always needs to occur. God commands us to forgive, and forgiveness needs to occur before the debt continues to accumulate. And again, forgiveness can take place even without both of the parties being present and asking for forgiveness. Joseph likely forgave his brothers years earlier, not even knowing that he would even ever meet them again. You see, reconciliation may not necessarily occur, or may look differently at times. Now, reconciliation at times may not occur because what if Joseph was dead? Well, then there'd be no reconciliation. Or if Joseph had forgiven and then his brothers appeared and upon realizing that Joseph is alive, his brothers could have decided to get rid of the evidence. Once again, they didn't. People of God, we are commanded to forgive and we are called to be people of reconciliation. Reconciliation. Again, forgiveness takes only one party. It's best with two, but it only needs one. And we have a choice to be disobedient by not forgiving or obedient and forgive without conditions. Reconciliation takes two. And we can choose to reconcile, but we can't force another person or another party to reconcile. The story of forgiveness And reconciliation doesn't always go this smooth. Firstly, though, that this was 22 years later. It wasn't easy for Joseph. But here he is. And it seems like this meeting with his brothers is going quite well. But there are times in Scripture where revenge is wrongfully taken or reconciliation does not occur. But we are given a story here in which it can occur and how it can occur. We're given a story about forgiveness and healing the wound, and how God has orchestrated all of this to happen. Again, Joseph and his brothers are not dwelling on the wrong that was done. They're not ignoring it, but they're not dwelling it either on it either. They're not dwelling on the sins that the brothers committed. Joseph clearly states that, yes, what the brothers' role was in all of this when he mentioned, you guys are the ones who sold me into Egypt. But then Joseph encourages himself and his brothers to dwell on God. And this helps to bring healing. This helps to heal the pain. It doesn't change what happened. It doesn't make one forget what happened. It doesn't mean that the wrong goes unpunished. But it does state how God is going to use the situation for his purposes, for his glory, for the good of everyone. Joseph makes it clear, or even clearer, that God intended to use this for his glory. And that God brought the two parties together. They didn't initiate themselves, the two parties coming together. God brought them together. God will take humanity's evil and their wrong and their guilt, and he will turn it towards his gracious goal. Twice, Joseph mentions his brother's involvement in the evil act, but four times, Joseph mentions God's involvement and intervention in all of this. In verse eight, Joseph goes as far to say, so then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. God Sent Joseph to Egypt, and God made him part of Pharaoh's administrative team. Now, that could create a bit of a discrepancy in our minds with the earlier part of the chapter. Did the brothers orchestrate this, or did God? Based on other parts of Scripture, God does not ordain evil, murder, abandonment, or deception. God is not the author and initiator of sin, but God will use what humanity messes up to his glory and to bring about his purpose, the saving of many lives. Yes, the brothers acted on their own will by selling Joseph, and this was a sin, and God would be displeased with sin. But God acted on his own His own will and used this sin by sending Joseph to Egypt into the hands and courts of Pharaoh. And even though there may be terrible things in the hearts of people, God remains sovereign and He remains in control. And God again brings about healing and purpose to a terrible event that lasted decades. You can read also further in Genesis 50, chapter 50, chapter fifty nineteen and 20, uh, verse 20. When Joseph said to his brothers, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Proverbs 19, verse 21 says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God's grace has once again triumphed over sin. And included in that journey of triumph is a call to forgiveness, a call to mercy, a call to reconciliation. So people, let's now take this story of forgiveness and reconciliation forward a couple thousand years. We enter into into the New Testament story where Jesus suffered at the hands of his brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, And on the day, what we call Good Friday, Jesus suffered and died a terrible death. And he asked for forgiveness for the sins of the people. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they did. This was a one-sided transaction in which people didn't ask to be forgiven. Jesus offered it. God used the actions of the Romans and the Jews for his perfect plans. Jesus was sent to the cross unjustly and unfairly and on account of the Roman government and the Jewish people yelling so loud to crucify him. And these wrongful actions brought about death and great suffering and yet God used these actions for his glory to save the lives of many people. And yet the journey of forgiveness and healing did not end with Jesus on the cross. God then waited three days to raise Jesus from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit. And just like Joseph told his brothers, I am Joseph, Jesus told his brothers and sisters, I am Jesus. You see, God did not leave Jesus at the cross or in the tomb. God took it further and rose Jesus to life so that we too could have new life. Jesus' death brought about his resurrection and God's plans brought life and salvation to many people. God has extended his hand of mercy and grace to each of us to receive the forgiveness and healing from Jesus Christ. And so now, 2,000 years beyond the cross, beyond the tomb, beyond the resurrection, here we are in August 2020. And people of God, we are called to respond in obedience we have been forgiven. The punishment that was supposed to be upon us isn't. We got mercy, and the punishment was paid, but it was paid by Jesus Christ. And we have been reconciled, and we have been reconciled through Christ's death. We have been reconciled between God and us. And we are called to enter. We are, we are to enter into this opportunity of a restored relationship with God through Jesus So people respond with a relationship with Jesus Christ, receive His mercy, receive His forgiveness, receive new life through Jesus Christ. We have a relationship with Him, but we have to take part and respond. On account of all that God has done for us, we too are to respond, not only in relationship with Jesus, but in a relationship with others, and respond with forgiveness. And don't miss out on opportunities that God provides to us to reconcile and to grow our relationships with one another. He will be bringing people together to restore relationships just like he did with the brothers and Joseph who had no intention to do that. The process of healing the pain begins with forgiveness. And you know sometimes it remains there. But God calls us to more. And he desires us to not ignore the relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Again, continue to dwell on Jesus. And do not ignore the relationships that he's putting into our paths with others. And through all this, may we continue to see God accomplishing great things in our lives in the lives of his people, in the lives of his church, and in this world. He's going to accomplish great things and the saving of many lives to his glory. And together we say, Amen. Let's pray. Father God, loving God, forgiving God, we thank you for the greatest gift that you've given to us through your Son. You've given us forgiveness of all our sins because of this amazing gift of grace. May we respond in thankfulness and gratitude. May we respond by living out forgiveness towards others and towards ourselves. And sometimes this might be easy, such as it seems with Joseph, and other times it might be very difficult. Work in us through the power of your Holy Spirit. And with you, all things are possible. We praise you for your Son and for calling us over and over again to follow you. And we praise you for this time of worship. We thank you for your church and the many people who make up this local body in the Universal Christian Church. We thank you that later in the service we can celebrate new deacons and elders in in office and your continued faithfulness to us through leadership. We thank you for the gift of life and new birth. And we rejoice with Kevin and Sarah and Alina on their newborn daughter and sister, Emma. Bless this young family and may Emma and Alina come to know you as their Lord and Savior. Bless all unborn and newborn and young children and youth and adults. And we rejoice with other milestones and celebrations in life that people are going through. We lift up those among our church family and our families and our communities who are struggling with loneliness, pain, losses, or illness. And where it is your will, Lord, we ask that you provide healing and your continued strength and comfort. Lord, we pray for lives impacted in our province, in our country, in this world, through COVID or other diseases, and we ask for your healing and your continued presence. We pray for safety as children will be attending school again soon after many months away, and bless all those involved. We pray for areas in this world or even our nation that people live in fear for their faith or being a different race or for many other reasons. We pray for justice and for equity for all people. And may we be people of grace and mercy and forgiveness as you taught us. And Lord, we pray that we have sensed your nearness and your presence during this service. And may we do so throughout this week and throughout our lives. Work in us to take what we experience and learn here to allow it to work in us lives of obedience and faith. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who taught us to pray. And together, whether we're here or online, we can say out loud, Our Father in heaven.